Hey everyone, this is Paul Kingsbury. Welcome to the Cutlass Podcast, where we provide fresh perspectives to help you become a more sturdy, versatile, incredible leader and manager. Engage with us online at cutlassleadership.com and like and follow my Facebook page. And send me your questions and topic suggestions to cutlassleadership at gmail.com. Enjoy this episode. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. Uh, you know, one of the frequent conversations I have or one of the concepts that a lot of people struggle with is this dilemma of trying to distill leadership down into some kind of simple concept that they can put in their mind and, and perhaps build a model or a framework around. While that's important to do, it's also important, I think, not to oversimplify leadership. And in turn, when you do that, you fail to take advantage of a full suite of leadership tools that you have available as a leader and a manager. So I've tended to go with influence, leadership being influence as my kind of big picture thing for leadership. But I also, as you know, use this kind of power-based and influence model uh, to put that simple concept into a practical toolkit um, that I've used and that other leaders can use or consider when they're uh, doing their day-to-day leadership engagements. Uh, my next guest turned me on to an article titled Leadership, A Simple Definition, and it was written by Mark R. Summerfield. Uh, and basically, Mark distilled down leadership, working to make things better. And I think I've done that too with, you know, I line to, hey, making a positive difference in your personal and professional life. So I think that's a great outcome of what we're after with leadership. But then you got to ask who decides our success as a leader? That was the next question that came to mind for me. So it is our bosses. Uh, do we side it ourselves uh, or is it the people who work with us? So with me today to discuss this a bit more is retired command mass chief, Dr. Richard Curtis. Rich enlisted in the U.S. Navy right after high school. His assignments included six submarines to include serving as chief of the boat on board the USS Rhode Island. He did an overseas tour in Naples, Italy, and he was an assistance comm officer at Submarine 20. He also served as command mass chief for Strike Fighter Squadron 136. He was lead facilitator of the mobile training team, and I did some facilitation work with fleet CPO training team with him uh, for a while there. And then he finished up his career as director of the U.S. Navy Senior Enlisted Academy in Newport, Rhode Island. In 2018, Richard retired from active duty with 28 years of service, and in 2017, he was selected as the Navy team's captain at the 2017 Chicago Wounded Warrior Games. So, Rich holds a doctorate in executive leadership from the University of Charleston, West Virginia. So, hey, Rich, it's great to catch up with you. Welcome to the Cutlass Podcast. How are things going with you? Uh, Well, first off, thanks, Paul, for having me and uh, for listening uh, to what (laughs) what I researched. I'm doing well. Enjoying, uh, you know, being a college professor and uh, hopefully influencing the next uh, president or, you know, admiral or general or or whatever, just influencing the next round of leaders. Yeah, absolutely. So you and I, like I mentioned in the intro, you know, we first really met and got to learn a lot about each other and leadership philosophies when we were facilitating fleet CPO training team. And recently, well, not recently, but towards the end of your career, right when you're up at the Senior Enlisted Academy, introducing me at least the concept of implicit leadership theory. And again, you know, you brought it back. So I want to kind of talk this a bit more because I think it offers a different approach to leadership. You know, let's start out explaining to listeners what this leadership theory philosophy is and how it contrasts with the other leadership models or theories that are out there. So in contrast, I would I would offer that it may not contrast many of the leadership theories instead will use the word complement. Okay. So implicit leadership theory, if I boil it all down to, there's three steps. Imagine, observe, and match. 
I'd like to use uh, kind of an anecdotal example or analogy. Okay. So you and a friend are walking through a museum, and it's an art museum. You walk by an abstract painting by Jackson Pollock, famous abstract uh, painter. And you look at the painting for, let's just say, you know, 30 seconds. And you're like, ugh, how did this guy even make it? And the friend that you're with is like, well, well, can we stay here a few minutes longer? And your patience level is like, you know what? I'm just going to keep going, you know, just to the next exhibit. And your friend ends up staying there longer. I mean, 10 minutes just absorbing this painting. And when you finally meet back up, your friend cannot stop talking about how beautiful and vibrant that Jackson Pollock painting was. Okay. But in the back of your mind, you're going, are you crazy? It was just drops and drips and splatter. It's not art. Well, internally, you both were looking at the exact same painting. You were comparing that painting to other pieces of art you had been exposed to. Now, come to find out, you're more of a realist. You enjoy the landscapes, and maybe you enjoy Bob Ross's type of paintings where it's, you know, this this bright landscape that just seems to draw you in. Okay. But your friend likes that creativity of a Jackson Pollock or a Picasso or something. Same painting, but you're both internally comparing it to other pieces of art. Then. As you're standing in front of that painting at real time, you're taking that comparison, now your observation, and you're saying, how does it match or compare to what I already internally consider art? Then you get to the third step where you're like, match. Does my observation of the Jackson Pollock match my internal image of art? If the answer is yes, then you mentally, internally say, that is art. Or you say, nah, you know what? That's not art. I could do that in my garage. That's the exact principle of implicit leadership theory. Take, for example, a chief petty officer in a division. When the chief steps in for the first time, when they walk in and they're standing in front of that cadre of sailors, the sailors immediately begin observing the chief's action. The chief is put in a position of leadership. That chief has been inserted into the division to be a leader. Well, as that cadre of sailors is observing the chief, they're internally starting to compare their observations to their image. Now, the image of a leader comes from everywhere. One of my favorite articles is from Keller. She talks about our first image of a leader is our parents. That is where our baseline starts. Okay. I'm not saying effective leader. I'm not saying good leader. I'm not saying bad leader. I'm saying leader. Your parents are an image of a leader. That could be a good leader or a not so good leader, but you're still comparing that observation to that image. Now that image over time changes a little bit because your influence changes. My coach is considered a leader. My first division officer, RDC is a, is a leader to me. So now 
as you and I are standing in front of the chief listening, we're starting to compare the chief just like you and your friend did for the Jackson Pollock painting. Yep. So as we watch the chief and as we observe, we may grant that chief internal leadership status. Okay. So you and I, let's just use you, you and I as an example. We're young E5s. I don't know if we can remember that far back, but we're young E5s. We're watching our chief. When everybody walks away, you, you may go, man, this, this chief's going to be awesome. You know, and your followership goes up. Now I'm like, man, this, this chief's a clown. I could do better than this, chief. Are you kidding me? Because what people might not know is internally, I'm comparing that chief to my dad, who was a senior chief. So how they carry themselves, I'm already comparing them. Additionally, I was, let's say, uh, uh, NJROTC, and I had Chuck Clark as my instructor. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man. This guy doesn't, or this chief doesn't even match close to my dad or Chuck. But for you, holy cow, I love this new chief. What we did was we used our background, our culture, our influences, and we took all of those and we said, now let's uh, compare the, that to the observation. And internally, it's only internally that we grant leadership status. That's what they were looking for in their comparison. So that that's really uh, a little, probably a little bit more in depth than you wanted, but that's how we determine if a chief, an officer, uh, a CO, a department head, we do it. We don't mean to. It happens. You know, as a chief, you're in front of a group, right? You represent the broader chief's mess because people are doing this. They're making your approach to leadership and how you translate and to compare, right? I would say they're gauging you. They're developing that sense of your competence and your credibility, right? And then, hey, am I going to trust and buy into this person? What I think you're calling internal leadership. So I see this from two perspectives. So if I'm a, in a leadership position, I think people need to understand how they're being perceived and how people are thinking about that so they can uh, you know get feedback perhaps and shape that. But also we're all followers too, right? So we're doing the same thing with our bosses, right? So I think this is good from both perspectives. Put it this way. I see this kind of like, you know, we develop these biases with our leadership. If I had a bad leader, am I going to tend to assume that all leaders have those same negative ad attributes? And if so, how does a good leader identify this and then work to change it? When I hear good and bad, it immediately goes to why I wanted to study this, which is the definitions that we, we actually hang on those words, right? Yep. So a bad leader. Let's take Chief A, because I'd like to stay in the chief's mess if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Chief A is will classify as a bad leader. Okay. All right. One of their top strengths order, let's say, is self-confidence. That's actually a strength. Okay. Right? Yep. It comes across as arrogance. Well, that arrogance and that self-confidence is a rub because it doesn't lend to the leadership theory of authentic leader. Okay. Okay. So for you and I, we may see that self-confidence as part of the bad. And then maybe that chief wasn't as transparent. Maybe that chief was a, a little bit heavy-handed. Okay. Meaning we were in earshot. We heard our chief say, because I said so. Damn it. Yeah. Right? And you and I were like, did they just bark at? You know? 
Now let's take Chief B, and we're going to call them the good leader. Right. Okay. They're the ones that are are saying, "Hey, Rich, Paul, or Petty Officers, uh, what's your thoughts?" So they're trying to get that collaboration from us, and they want to bring in our opinion. And you and I remember that our parents were like that, or our last petty officer was like that, or or whatever that comparison. Yeah. So now we have that second chief, that chief B, the good one. They keep their ego in check. They're self-confident, but they're not so self-confident that they're arrogant. They're self-confident, but they don't come across as unauthentic. Okay. So you and I gravitate to that person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think you've touched on this a bit. So why did this resonate with you so much again and put in a practical context of how people can use this and why should they care to learn about this more? Can I use a sea story? I Absolutely. mean, I would, be a, uh, I would be a horrible chief if yep. I didn't use a good sea story, I love right? It. So why did this gravitate to me? So I was at a command and I was in a position of leadership. A senior officer came in and said, hey, can we talk? Let's just say we didn't have an amicable relationship at first. Okay. So this officer and I didn't necessarily see eye to eye at first. This officer said, hey, I, I really would like to try and nail down why the E5 and below gravitate to you, but the E6 and some of the chiefs don't. Then they said, and your division officer. Okay. And I sat there and I thought about it. I was like, wow. I said, well, you know, I, I think I may have the answer. And the officer said, well, what do you think it is? I said, well, sir, I, I'm a dick. The officer said, I'm sorry. I said, well, if you think about it, I have a standard driven by policies and procedures that we have to uphold. That standard doesn't move with your rank. So the E5 and below see that standard as the line. And the E5 and below, as I I later on found out, saw that as authentic. Some of the E6 and the chief, some of the chiefs, you know, my division officer, they saw it as more of unauthentic because they didn't like being held to that standard all the time. The E5 and below said, wait, this cat doesn't care what's on your collar. If you're doing something wrong, they're going to call you on, right? So that is what drew me into my study, which was what are the effective traits according to the chief's mess? And I wanted to understand why we had internal images of leaders And we could not come to one singular, these are the effective traits. Yeah, I always found myself, you know, once again, what, you know, asking like, hey, what is the, you know, I call it a value and belief system that is shaping this model of a chief for your today's chief, right? So is it they're a chief because generally they have developed good attributes and traits internally and they've learned to mature, right? And they've they've gained that balance, you know, between confidence and arrogance, right? And they know how to balance that. Or... Do we just go to a model that World War II chief petty officer and we're like, I have to be that thing and we try to model something that conflicts with our internal kind of system, right? And then you're not being authentic and then you're in a bad spot. Does that make sense? The Cutlass Podcast will return in a moment. For more than 100 years, naval professionals have counted on books such as the Chief Petty Officer's Guide to prepare them for the responsibilities as they advance in their careers and to serve as a ready reference and refresher when needed. The Chief Petty Officer's Guide provides unique insights into topics such as the one discussed in this podcast, 
which enable Navy chiefs and other leaders to achieve their objectives and positively influence their sailors, peers, and leadership. The Chief Petty Officer's Guide is essential and insightful reading for chiefs of any experience level, first-class petty officers who aspire to advance to chief, or anyone looking to reflect on the state of their leadership and management skills while benefiting from insights on the leadership and management approaches of U.S. Navy chiefs. Get your copy today at www.usni.org backslash books or online at your bookstore of choice. Signed and inscribed copies can be ordered at www.cutlessleadership.com. Now back to the Cutlass podcast. No, it, it makes complete sense because as we grew our electronic footprint, our digital footprint in the invention of the web and smartphone, if you're at a conference, Paul, and somebody's talking about something and they start talking about nuclear, 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 you very well could start fact checking them, right? Yep. Now that, that may be on your phone or that may be you know, you're like, no, that's not how that works. No, that's not how that works. Right. But internally, you're starting to fact check. So as chiefs, we have to realize that our sailors today have something you and I didn't when we were E4s. They can go back to their divisional space or they could go to the fantail or wherever, pull out their smartphone and immediately fact check you. So if you want to be the World War II chief with the coffee cup in your hand and bark and expect the young sailors to say, uh, no, that's not how this is done, then that's what's going to happen. So that, that comes to, which is credibility. Yeah. It goes back to that. But what fascinated me in my study is that I used a list, uh, an instrument that had already been put through the ringer three or four times. I wanted to see if the traits of an effective leader, according to the chief, were different based on different demographics. Okay. For example, did male and female see the uh, the traits different? Do do SEALs see the traits different than information warfare? Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah, also. it does. And what'd you find? But if I could pause for a second, I'm yep. going to tell you why that was also important to me. Go ahead. As we see in the Navy, I could take a young CMC out of the surface community and put them in the aviation community or out of the surface community and put them in the information warfare community. If I was a freshly minted CMC, it may be helpful to know if there was a difference in what they saw as the top three and the bottom three traits. Okay. And how could that be important? Because go to your power bases and, you know, I want to be able to come in and be authentic and know that this trait could be considered toxic. Okay. Now, it's not going to apply, you know, writ large. Not every aviator or every SEAL or every diver has this. It was a study of roughly 2,800 chiefs across all domains. So there is always a portion of a group that says, I want vanilla ice cream when a majority of the group wanted chocolate. Okay. Right? Yep. So 
I started off with the instrument of 21 traits, and then I boiled it down to 11. Okay. And the 11 traits from there is where I really got into most of my data. And I was able to say, out of these 11 traits, things like manipulative was not one that uh, people gravitated to. (laughs) If that may... Imagine that. You know... Right. So if you're a manipulative chief, it actually fell to the bottom. You, you were not one that we we wanted, you know, yep. and that was what I wanted to see. But what was fascinating was the chiefs, the senior chiefs and the master chiefs had variation in what they considered compared to the entire community. The one thing that I have to pause, I did not explore why do the Chiefs and the Master Chiefs have difference. Okay. So I just wanted to get a snapshot. So what came out top three and what obviously were the bottom three? Dedicated, hardworking, and help. Okay. Those are the top three. Manipulative, selfish, and conceited. For the bottom three. Okay. So this ties so, in really to pers- – I, I just see it as like something for you to reflect on in your personal power base, right? Hey, here are some three attributes that you would want to really think about and read or focus in on how to lead – you know, as a leader, how can you develop those helpful, you know, uh, motivated kind of characteristics and then how do you avoid or if you are – able to self-reflect or get feedback through not just people but tools of self-evaluation, KSI, whatever it is. Um, sure. If you see some of these attributes, it's good to know them and kill those off and just know that, hey, hearing them, you're manipulative and coercive and things like that should turn you off to those. But some people, they saw leaders successful, I think, with those power tools or with those attributes without realizing that they're probably causing broader damage to your team attitude. Now you're in – if Mary Olbeam were to ever listen to this and she's one of the, the lead contributors to uh, complexity theory, she would be in heaven because now you've touched on feedback, right? Yep. How do I know I'm being manipulative? How do I know that I'm not being helpful, yeah. right? Unless you come tell me. That's that feedback. And okay. then on top of that, you're in Charles Manns, who's the seminal author and researcher for self-leadership. Then you can bring in, and I mentioned him, Dr. Elias Porter, the seminal author for leadership awareness theory. Elias Porter and Tim Scudder, Dr. Tim Scudder, are some of the foremost experts on relationship awareness theory and how to build relationships or, as they like to call it, authentic connections. Okay. So as a leader, if I'm looking at how do I build those authentic connections and those relationships Do the people that are under my charge, do they see me as dedicated, hardworking, and helpful, or do they see me as knowledgeable, dynamic, and pushy? Regardless, they see me, and that could be indicative of the the line of work. How this helps tie into your power bases, your feedback, all of these other theories, and why I, I, I wanted you and I to talk about this before we talked about followership or toxic leadership or some of the other leadership theories was because as a new chief, new CMC, I walk into my next command. If it's different than the community I was just in, if I understand that this community is looking for knowledgeable over helpful, 
then that tells me maybe I need to make sure I'm in the books and I know what I'm talking about. Right. Because they're going to fact check me. Point to me here is knowing what that community, and I'll even take it outside the Navy or the military, right? Um, your specialty, your profession, right? Your trade, knowing what those, what those organizations value is important to know as a leader. And then you can do that alignment of those characteristics. People want to know you're hardworking. They want to know you're helpful and approachable probably. They want to see dedication. Yep. They want motivation and they want knowledgeable or high levels of expert power. The theory, I think, supports that you know, development of expert personal power, which gives you credibility. And with credibility, you get trust and buy-in. And then they're internally motivated because you and I know all day a chief petty officer or anyone in a position of positional power, they all have to do what you say, right? You're the boss or you're the leader or the manager. They have to follow those directions or there's other ways we can influence you or we'll just set you loose. But if you want them to come with a sense of alignment, internal followership, this is why this is so important to know. All right. So, Absolutely. Um, let's uh, – If I could – Yeah, go ahead. So let's take it outside the chief's mess but keep it inside the lifelines of the Navy. Okay. I'm a commanding officer. I'm primarily a surface officer and I'm going to take a position where 90% – of the people, uh, the sailors I'm going to be charged with are aviation. Most of my career was in surface. However, I'm going to a neutral site, but most of the cadre of people are aviation. For example, what if what if I was a surface officer and CNIC needed me to go to Pax River, right? Now, I understand that in the aviation community, my chiefs are looking for X, Y, and Z, or in this case, they're looking for hardworking, helpful, and dedicated. So now I know that you, because you mentioned buy-in, I'm sorry, that's what kind of sparked this thought, right? As a CO, I could come in and be like I was with Surface Chiefs Mess, or I can adapt a little bit in my demeanor, my methodologies, and things like that to make that connection with my new chief's mess, which is predominantly aviation. That is also a glimpse. Now, you may not change, yep. but having that knowledge that the aviation looks at an effective leader different than surface is powerful. It, it's huge. Yep. So, And when stepping off in a new role, right? So again, this is useful because, you know, one of the attributes I push cutlass leaders to be is versatile, right? So this is an example of how you can use this knowledge and this theory to be versatile, right? So you go into a new position, you can, you know, assess yourself, you can understand that community, you got a sense of like, hey, what attributes do I have that align, what don't? And then if you want to change and try to adapt, good on you. If you don't, then have that conversation with your people and go, hey, I know you value this, but, you know, I mean, here's where we're going to see some philosophical difference or difference in my leadership approach because I don't go that way. So I think if you, it's been my experience, if you're just forthright and you set that conditions, it doesn't leave people guessing and the expectations are quicker aligned. Does that make sense? Absolutely, because now you become transparent. Now you're in authentic. You could end up in authentic leadership. Okay. I know you and I talked about covering followership in a different segment, but I wanted to cover how followership and this tie in. Okay. And the same principle of imagine or image, observe and match goes to the side of the of followership, okay. implicit followership theory. So now as a chief, remember you and I were young petty officers standing in front of our chief as they just stepped in, right? Yeah. 
Well, that chief is now assessing two E5s. Petty Officer Kingsbury is procedurally driven. Yes, hey, what do we need to get done? That type thing. So the chief is already going, that young E5 is check a leader. Or in this case, Petty Officer Kingsbury is a follower, right? Yeah. Petty Officer Curtis, well, they're early. The uniform looks good, but man, he's a smart aleck. Already always has to ask why, you know, constantly pushing my buttons. Petty Officer Curtis is not a follower. Remember, this is not done out loud. This is done internally. That chief is observing us based on their image of a follower. In this case, a young E5, right? So that leads to one of my favorite things that I I used to see in the Diomi survey, and I know you've seen it um, because we've had the conversation, is my chief has favorites, right? No, your chief doesn't have favorites. Your chief has followers that exhibit all the characteristics of the follower they're imagining. Naturally, they're going to come to Petty Officer Kingsbury with those hard projects or the collateral duties that are coming open or whatever. Now it takes that conscious effort, even though the chief may not see Petty Officer Curtis as a follower, it takes a conscious effort for the chief to come to Petty Officer Curtis and say, hey, Here's this collateral duty I'd like you to take and keep that balance. So that's another conversation, but that's how this ties all together when you start thinking about a leader, a follower, and and those predispositions that we carry with ourselves. It, it, It happens. Okay. So, all right. So, another great point to, uh, for people to reflect on, right? Again, is, but once again, communicating to your team the attributes you find valuable, right? So I just, I don't think we do that enough. And then once again, it just uh, sets you up for, you know, expectations are varied and then people start making their own value assumptions on why you're making decisions. So, hey, let's do, uh, Absolutely. to close it out, what would you offer to the listeners? Like, hey, here's some questions you should ask yourself to self-reflect on this topic. So do you have two or three of those? And then what kind of books or articles would you suggest? And then can they read your dissertation somewhere? Yeah. So what I can do is if you want, I can share my dissertation with you. Okay. And you, I know you have a website. Yep. So this, I'll, I'll send you my dissertation. Okay. It might be something for you to, to, to put up there. Absolutely. Um, so internal questions to ask. Honestly, I don't know if I would ask anybody to have conversations internally other than if a chief wanted to do it doesn't matter if they were the A chief, the B chief, the chief that's struggling to make connections or has a great connection with their divisions. I would challenge the chief to take these 11 traits, put them on a, you know, just a little slip of paper, right? And hand them to everybody in their division and say, rank those traits based on your image of me, one through 11, and then calculate them and then sit down and maybe have that conversation with the division. Help me understand, because that was part of the, you know, the feedback, right? Yeah. Do we want that feedback? Do I really want Petty Officer Kingsbury to tell me as a chief, hey, chief, I definitely don't see dedicated, hardworking or helpful in your top five. I would be like, oh, snap. Yeah. Right. Based on. So now we're in Johari window. We're based on perceptions. We're based on all these things. But I wouldn't say internally marinate on them because then you have 
you have internal bias, right? But if I asked Petty Officer Kingsbury to rank me using these 11 traits and your top three were conceited, manipulative, and selfish or conceited, selfish, and pushy, you know, and that's what I would hope I would do instead of getting pissed off and being like, you guys all suck. How could, how dare you? I'm here every day. Well, that's that selfish trait coming out. And it just reinforces that things they're saying and seeing in you. So, right. So then you're getting into your psychological empowerment, ownership, and safety, which is all part of what are the traits that I'm exhibiting to you as a young petty officer, division officer, or in the chief's mess to my department chief, to my CMC, to my other chiefs, right? Uh, so that's very important for self-leadership. So, man, we went over a lot of stuff, lots more. We, we picked did. out a few things. Uh, but, hey, my guest today, again, has been Retired Command Master Chief, Dr. Richard Curtis. You know, thanks again for joining Rich. And, you know, I look forward to another, you know, topic. We can get deeper into toxic leadership or one of these other things. I mean, we've teed up like five different things here. So thanks again for joining me. Yeah, Paul, can I close with a quote? Sure. Uh, you know me. I love to, you know, end with that, that motivation. And it was a quote that I came across from Richard Cummings in 2007. It basically says, leadership is like beauty. You know it when you see it. As chief petty officers, we are in that fishbowl and our sailors above, below, beside us know beauty when they see it. And in today's age, they're going to call us on it. Leadership's like beauty, Paul. You know it when you see it. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the Cutlass Podcast. If you want to learn more about the topic we've discussed today or in any other episodes, you can check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide or the resources I'm going to list in the episode description. Uh, To provide me feedback or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at cutlassleadership at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast on your favorite podcast channel, and then like, share, and comment so you can help us get this content out and about. I'm Paul Kingsbury. I want you to work hard to keep your leadership cutlass sharp. I want you to reflect and improve, and then take what you learn to become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who makes a positive difference. Thank you.